Welcome to Disrupting Japan. Straight talk from Japan's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for joining me. Food is complicated. That's why successful food related startups are so rare and so important when we do find them. Today we sit down with an old friend after almost eight years. Iko Hiraishi is running InFarm Japan, an urban farming startup that is actually growing vegetables in supermarkets. Now, indoor farming or hydroponics has been fairly common since the 1980s, but the combination of rising global cost of food and the plummeting cost of technology and some innovative machine learning has resulted in urban farming. Not only becoming commercially viable today, but providing a very interesting value proposition for the supermarkets. And a pretty interesting value proposition for you and me as well. We talk about the future of food, why you need expensive technology to grow cheap vegetables, and whether it's better to be a founder or VC in today's world. But you know, Ikuo tells that story much better than I can. So let's get right to the interview. Cheers. Very nice to see you. I'm sitting here with Ikuo Hiraishi, a serial entrepreneur, angel investor, and new urban farmer. Thank you. So thanks for sitting down with us.、Uh, it's an honor to be back here to have a chat with you. It's been a while. It's been almost, it's been around eight years. You yes, were... you know, I was kind of like a you know, test interviewee <laughs> of Disrupting Japan. Yeah, that was eight years ago. I, I think you were episode number four. Yes, a very early very episode. Early. Yes. And、right. we're, we're closing in on episode 200 now. Oh, cool. Congrats. <laughs> But yeah, we're here to talk about urban farming. So just so I can make sure I understand it correctly. So, the types of farming we have, like rural farming, which is just vegetables out in the field, like just farming. Yes, soil based farming, right. And then we have indoor farming, which is like plants in warehouses and things that are usually in the suburbs or on the outskirts of cities. And then we have what you and InFarm are doing, which is Urban farming, where the, the veggies are grown like, in the supermarkets themselves, right? Right. So, what's the big advantage of urban farming over all the other types of farming? So,、uh, of course, you know, there are lots of、uh, advantages, but so we can minimize the other、uh, food mileage, meaning、uh, delivery distance. So, it all depends on countries or markets and regions. For example, Europe, Germany, actually, InFarm originated out of Berlin. So, Germany is a very cold country in general, and、uh, farming is possible only four or five months a year. So, that's why they have to import lots of vegetables. So, when we're talking about food mileage, is the underlying concern cost? Is it CO2 emissions? Is it Transportation and distribution has to consume lots of gasoline, lots of CO2 generated, so meaning a very big impact to global warming. So, urban farming can reduce those kind of energy consumption and also CO2 emission. 
And what type of vegetables is it good for? Is it good for growing just about anything? Are there certain types of vegetables that are better for this kind of farming? Technically, almost all of the other vegetables can be grown as indoor farming, you know, LED and hydroponics. But however, some vegetables are not really good as they are the current technologies. For example, roots vegetables like uh, you know, radish, carrot, potatoes, etc., are not really good to produce by the LED and the hydroponics. However, leafy greens, spinach, and all the other herbs like basil, coriander, etc. Lettuce and cabbage. And right. Yeah, that can be grown by LED and hydroponics. Why is that? Why are leafy greens so easy to grow and things like beets or carrots because difficult? Beets, carrots, the roots have to be inside the water. So the depth has to be certain amount. Right? Okay, so like root vegetables just require more space? I think so. I'm not the uh, engineer at the LED and hydroponics, so maybe I am wrong. But as far as I have heard from the other engineers, technically we can produce potatoes and radish, etc., roots products now, but the quality, maybe shape, are not qualified as a, as a commercial product. Oh, okay. But leafy greens, they can grow very well. Okay, that makes sense. Before we dive deep into the business model, which I really, really want to do, because it's super interesting. I want to take a step back and how you got involved with the team. And, and you mentioned InFarms from Berlin. Yes. And you and I have both been back. Back when I was at TEPCO, I was in Berlin an awful lot. It's, it's an interesting city. There's a lot of innovation going on yes. in Berlin. So you've been to Berlin? Four or five times. Oh, nice. Yeah. Good, uh, good enough. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a lovely town. I love uh -huh. it. So when I was running a company called the Sunbridge Global Ventures, which you know, so we were running the pitch event called the Innovation Weekend. We started Innovation Weekend back in uh, May 2011. Uh, the first three years, we were only running the such events in uh, Tokyo and Osaka. However, the startup movement restarted uh, after the financial crisis, so we call the Lehman shock. And then in Japan, uh, we had a Livedo shock. Right. So Tokyo Stock Exchange made the, the regulation very, very strict. So going public, all of a sudden, you know, became very, very difficult. Right. Meaning, you know, exits are very difficult. So that's why the investors hesitated. Now, I remember the timing really well, but I'm curious. So after, after LiveDoor, there was a lot of new regulations and a new... Yes. Actually, a lot more sort of guidance than regulations, but... Did the government change the regulations again to make it easier to IPO? Yes. Not a government, Tokyo Stock Exchange, because if they had kept the windows very narrow, only a few IPOs. So what, when did they start loosening up again? I think 2009 was the bottom. And then 10, 11, the time we started Innovation Weekend, and then kind of bounced back. So they started loosening up pretty much as the economy started recovering right, right, from right. the Lehman shock. Right. And then after three years, uh, since we started the Innovation Weekend, the startup market was kind of crowded. So uh, I thought 
we should reposition our innovation weekend. At the time, I always uh, shouted, we should go global. So that's why we changed to host overseas like uh, Silicon Valley, New York City, Boston, Singapore, London, Berlin, etc., etc. And then November 2015 was the, the first very innovation weekend in Berlin. And Infarm was one of the, the startups who pitched. Right, I remember they, they won the, um, the, the Innovation Weekend grand finale yes, that year. Yes, grand right? finale 2015, right. So was that the first time you'd met the team? Yes, okay. in Berlin. You also led the Sunbridge Fund's investment into them, right? Yes. That was yeah. a, so that was after they won? After they won the, the Innovation Weekend grand finale 2015. But uh, we also helped them conduct the, the feasibility study of the Japanese market before we invested in. Atomico invested like $100 million. Yes, I don't remember the, the amount, but Atomico led, I don't exactly remember, Series A or Series B. And then you brought them to Japan with a partnership with Kinokuniya? Yes, on the, the JR East. So how has that gone? I mean, you brought them in about two years ago, like right before COVID. <laughs> yeah, it's all, a, right? yeah, very good question. We seriously studied preparation to enter the Japanese market autumn 2018. We eventually decided to enter the Japanese market the maybe September or uh, October 2019. And then we established Infam Japan as a legal entity 2020, February 27th. Oh, right at the beginning of COVID. Right. Right. So we need to wait and uh, suspend it. So what happened? I mean, Japan's been opening up. Have the projects with Kinokuniya or with Summit, are they moving forward again? Kind of. The number of vegetables we can grow are more than a 75 or something. However, because Infarm started from Europe, most of those varieties usually eaten by the Western people. Oh, so they're not necessarily what the Japanese consumers want to buy? No. Oh. So now we are growing and selling Italian basil, coriander, Italian parsley, wasabi, rucola, kale, of course, lettuces. But we do need some more vegetables which have been consumed in Japan in our daily lives. We are in progress. So I think uh, we can accelerate business from now on. All right, well, let's talk about the business model, both in Japan and in the U.S. and in Europe, where there's a lot more supermarkets using this. So what is the main value proposition the supermarkets see in it? Because, I mean, you mentioned like food miles, mm -hmm. but is that the value the supermarkets see? It's a very good question. The social or retail culture entry different, those one in Europe, and those one in Japan. In Europe, food mileage is, you know, one of the big issues. And sustainability or SDGs are a very big agenda, especially in Germany. So even for foods, people tend to pay attention uh, where those vegetables come from and uh, if chemical pesticides have been used, etc. And then to grow same amount of vegetables, compared to the other you know, ordinary soil-based agriculture, 
usage of land, so we can also reduce 95%. But is that, I mean, I, th I can see how it has this huge impact if you're looking like long term and on yeah. like SDG goals. Right. But in like selling it to the consumer, it's organic, there's no pesticides, uh -huh. there's no chemicals. That's, that's clearly a really compelling message, right? Mm -hmm. But like land use or water use, like if you've got land that's like way out in rural areas in a farm mm -hmm. versus land that's in a supermarket, which is like really expensive, yes. high value. Yes, yes. Is that really like a fair comparison? Because it's like uh, taking up valuable retail space. Very good point. But if we kind of reduce or, you know, we don't use 95% of the, the actual land, it also means those lands may be able to return to the other forest or the other nature, mm. right? That would also to reduce the other uh, global warming and uh, also to reduce ordinary soil-based agriculture, which use the other chemical pesticides that also damage the environment. So especially in Germany, that can be a value proposition. But the, your question is very good because in Japan, claiming such a sustainability and SDG agendas for food and vegetables, not as effective in Germany. Of course, we are based on those kind of philosophy. But our idea is how we can enrich their daily lives with vegetables. You know, the people very conscious about their healthy a lot of Japanese supermarkets will have displays with organic vegetables. That's not just organic vegetables. They'll show it was grown on this farm and treated in this way, right. raised this way. Right. And, and people do pay a premium for that here. But the percentage of the organic vegetables, less than 3% in this country. Because it's simple, expensive. Right, right. But Infarm can offer them not a luxury, but affordable premium. Yeah. So the price range are somewhere between such you know, organic vegetables and ordinary vegetables which pesticides are used, but no chemical pesticides. And the, you know, the price are always the same, 365 days. Well, so when I was researching this, the infarm vegetables are still pretty expensive. No. No? No. What I was thinking is about twice as expensive as... No, 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 no. Oh, no. So what is it, like, compared to a regular head of lettuce and compared to, like, organic lettuce and an in-farm lettuce, what's the price difference? Uh, it depends on the other stores. But the most popular lettuce in Japan, called the iceberg, that price very volatile. Sometimes less than 100 yen, sometimes 300 yen something. If, you know, typhoon hits the other, lots of in lettuce, you know, farms, the harvest are damaged, then price all of a sudden kind of spike. But our lettuce, always 198 or 220-something. The On average, it's right. about the same in the same range? So between iceberg, ordinary lettuce used with the pesticides, and organic lettuce, somewhere between. Okay. So... What is the biggest contributor to cost in urban farming? Is it electricity or water or labor? Infrastructure. Not only in-farm, it's a LED hydroponics, vertical farming. 
because the farming can be stacked as ceiling height is allowed. So we need to invest those farming units. It's big because our business is based on the uh, scalability. So that, that capital investment, that is just much higher than the electricity or the water or the, the operational right. costs? Right, okay. right. So we need to invest into the infrastructure and the, those farming units. Scaling is the essence to be profitable. So the key to scaling and, and reducing costs is reducing the costs of those farming units, the, reducing the costs of that basic infrastructure. Right. Okay. That makes sense. What, what's the biggest cost for traditional farming? Is it labor? Uh, I think so. And uh, it's not only Japan, but all the uh, developed countries. Uh, there are lots of subsidized by the government. Yeah, yeah. Agriculture is heavily subsidized. Right. So that's why they are not really efficient in terms of cost efficiency. That's true. The true costs are much higher yes. than, than right. what we pay at the supermarket. Right, right, right. So, but the, we are not subsidized. So we need to invest those kind of facility by ourselves. So that's why, you know, we need to raise, you know, big money from the investors. So vertical farming or LED and hydroponics is manufacturing. So we need a factory. We need a capital expenditure first. Right. And then the question is how many years are required to recoup those kind of investment? That surprises me. I would have guessed that like the electricity cost would have been really high. Not really. Big. Really? No. And the cost of LED has been reduced constantly, like, uh, you know, more low. Back in the 1980s, uh, Japan studied LED hydroponics. However, because of the cost of LED, we could produce the other vegetables, but the cost was very, very high. So the expectation is that as technology continues, that capital costs will continue to drop right, as well. Right, right. like, uh, you know, uh, laptop, you know, computers, etc. What about labor costs? Because informed staff has to like plant the seeds and, mm -hmm. and deliver the plant to the supermarkets and mm -hmm. harvest the plants. Mm -hmm. Is that something that can be automated, do you think? Also a good point. In Japan, so we are still small. Our facility is called Infarm Plant Hub. But recent facility in Europe and North America those places are called the Infarm Growing Center, IGC. The, at the, the IGC, the farming unit is automated. Okay. Not 100%, but very much automated. So automation reduces the, the cost. So in Japan, so we deploy the, uh, the, our micro-farming units at the, the supermarkets. We put the, the seedlings into those insta farms and uh, depends on the vegetables, but the two weeks or three weeks and they're gonna harvest, right. bio stuff. Of course, the, the burden is not really low. So the next step is to establish Japan IGC. So that it's, that's more automated. Yes, and higher volume. So the cost per plant uh, will be reduced. Now I gotta say, Japan seems like almost a perfect market for this kind of technology, right? You it's, think so? Well, yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's an affluent country. People are willing to pay for high-quality food, uh -huh. specialized food. And the food quality laws are really strict. Japanese consumers are very picky. Yes, very picky. So it seems like a great target market for it. Theoretically, 
is correct, but uh, practically it's not easy to execute. And that's the thing, because I mean, I've, I've read there's been over 400 vertical farms in Japan of like all kinds of different sizes, some very, very right, tiny. Right, right, So there's a bunch of, of startups doing this. There's like, what was it, Farmship, mm-hmm. Spread. Mm-hmm. I think Toshiba had their lettuce. Yeah, and also farms. big guys as well. For example, Itochu cooperated with one of the ham producing companies to produce lettuces for sandwiches, which are uh, sold at the 7-Eleven because the demand is fixed. So risk is very, very minimized. It's a very clever idea. But if Infarm could deal those kind of uh, big business, that would be wonderful. But the, the other point is the most good way to make a profit is producing only lettuces and build the big facility in rural area because lettuce are the easiest variety to produce by the LED and hydroponics. And they're always big demand. But for example, like the Toshiba project was seven or eight years ago. And I mean, I haven't heard anything about them recently. No, no. me neither. What makes it so challenging? Why, when the market theoretically looks so good for this type of technology, why isn't it taking off? So you you make all these good questions. uh, of course, there are you know, several reasons, but the people, meaning you know, ordinary consumers, started to accept vegetables produced by the LED hydroponics. As a Japanese nature or culture, people tend to appreciate the other nature, you know, sunshine, soil, and the, you know, these farmers you know, kind of cherish their land, blah, blah, blah. And the, so those kind of human touch, uh, nature, are uh, more appealing to the, the general people. However, lots of typhoons and the SDGs, especially uh, Generation Z, uh, those younger population, getting to realize and uh, appreciate the benefits and advantages of the, the LED hydroponics and vertical farming. Okay, so, so there's now, been some consumer skepticism about the technology as a whole? Right. Okay. Right, right. But the, I'll tell you the true story. So when I pitched one of the, the major supermarkets in Tokyo, at the first appointment, the buyer told me, I'm sorry to say, but don't you think vegetables grown by the sunshine and the you know, ordinary soils are better than the, the vegetables grown by the LED the hydroponics? That's it. All right. So that was three years ago, but now no one tells me those kind of things. Their you know, mindset and uh, perspective has been changed. Okay, well, if, if sentiment is changing. Yes. But looking at the economics, so like the leafy greens, like lettuce, everyone seems to grow lettuce, which is one of the, the least expensive vegetables out there. Right. What about like higher value crops, things like, like wasabi? Yes. Which is like super expensive. Yes. Why, why are we growing the really inexpensive crops instead of the really expensive crops? This is also a good question. So if anyone evaluates which crop we should grow and target, so because of the easiest, lettuce has to be the choice, right? And as I mentioned, there are the, you know, always big demand. Four or five years ago, uh, there are not really many LED hydroponics-based uh, uh, lettuces at the supermarket. But now, 
almost all the major supermarkets, the lettuces produced by the LED hydroponics. That's the reality. However, if you put the lots of investment on uh, research and development to produce wasabi, the market is very, very limited. Yeah, okay. So even though the, the individual plant is expensive, the market is too small to right, justify the right, R&D. Right, right. That makes perfect right. sense. And it, actually, uh, the, you know, uh, that can be justified. But as a, you know, the management perspective, let's say this is, you know, 2 billion USD market. This is only a 5 million market, which you want to do. Yeah, That's yeah. a simple question. But sense. if you can dominate even a 5 million in a market, so then you can be profitable. But in general, you know, people would like to go for those big market, right? So that's the reality. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Hey, listen, before we wrap up, I want to ask you a question because I'm curious. You founded a couple of companies. Right. You've done investing both as an angel investor and a VC investor. Right. You're doing, you've done market entry. Yeah. Which do you enjoy most? Uh, good question. Right now, I would say investing is very interesting. Working as a, you know, taking a, you know, seed and early stage period, the best stage and the phase, I can be most valuable and the performance is good. But as the business grows, I'm not really good at handling those big, you know, organization. So finding interesting in the founders and the startups and making and seed and all the investments and starting up the business, I can enjoy. I, I mean, I definitely get that. As an investor, there's just so much more variety. Yes. And so much more mental stimulation. Right, right. right. So, of course, you know, I'm not running those businesses, but I can feel, you know, somehow I'm also can running A business, B businesses simultaneously. So I can be involved within lots of different interesting businesses, right? You, you get the same mental stimulation with much lower stress. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. But if I you know, stick with one single business under the you know, big pressure of the, the investors and employees and clients, etc., and you know, grow those business, that is very stressful. <laughs> okay, I agree, actually. Uh, Hey, listen, Nico, thank you so much for uh, sitting down with my, me. My pleasure. I, I really, really enjoyed it. it, yeah. And we're back. Food is complicated. One of the most interesting points that Ikuo brought up is that we don't really know how much our food costs. I mean, we know what we pay for it at the supermarket, but with so many direct and indirect subsidies and price supports, it's clear that the real cost is much higher. But we're not sure exactly how much higher. And that makes planning for scale much more complex than with your typical SaaS startup. And as Ikuo pointed out, although Infarm is a technology company, they require the capital expenditures and the business planning of manufacturing companies. But the overall trend is very clear. Lettuce and leafy greens are already cheaper than the subsidized price of traditionally farmed plants. And as the cost of labor continues to rise and the cost of technology continues to fall, more and more of our food will be grown indoors. And I do think that Japan is the perfect market for this. Relatively high in increasing food prices, 
picky consumers who are willing to pay extra for quality, and an aging and shrinking farming population will give Ikuo and Infarm a strong tailwind as they scale in Japan. You know, Infarm highlights an interesting contradiction in VC-funded startups. We founders love to talk about changing the world, but very few of us really want to. It's easy to raise a lot of money for a new crypto exchange or a technology that promises to increase online ad conversions by 2%, but the really important transformative projects, the green energy startups, the water usage startups, the revolutionary agriculture startups, well, that's much harder. And with good reason. Those businesses require a lot of capital, and their success rate is very low, even by startup standards. But you know, those startups are the ones actually changing the world. And we are going to live in a much better future because of them. If you want to talk more about urban farming and the future of food, Ikua and I would love to hear from you. So come by disruptingjapan.com slash show 197 and let's talk about it. And hey, if you enjoy the show, share a link online or just, you know, tell people about it. In this age of over-the-top hype and reviews as a service, you'd be amazed how much power your honest recommendation really has. But most of all, thanks for listening. And thank you for letting people interested in Japanese startups know about the show. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for listening to Disrupting Japan.